good morning. So glad you're here. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, if you'll go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. I want to start by reading from Ecclesiastes 5, as Catherine uh, uh, mentioned, and she does such a great job uh, with our host. Uh, We'll be in our last week of the What If series today talking about treasure. All right, so Ecclesiastes 5, starting with verse 8, if you'll join with me in reading, um, then we'll pray together and jump right in. Ecclesiastes 5, 8, if you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter. For the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is a gain for the land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much. But the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is a father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, so shall he go again. Naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This is also a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go, and what gain is there to him who tolls for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation and sickness and anger. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink And find enjoyment in all the toll with which one tolls under the sun. The few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. For he will not much remember his days of his life. Because God keeps him occupied with the joy of his heart. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the opportunity this morning as we finish out a series on asking the question, what if? What if we gave our time? What if we gave our talents? What if today we gave our treasure? Those material possessions that me included, but maybe many in the room seek day after day after day, to spend our years earning and attaining for ourselves and falling quickly into the trap of allowing those material things to somehow bring us satisfaction, to somehow identify who we are. Scripture is really clear. Solomon says it clearly for us in the New Testament. Jesus and Paul say it clearly. The only satisfaction that we will ever find that lasts is a life in you. To be, as Paul says in Philippians, to be found in Christ, to be in you, that's where our satisfaction comes from. And everything else under the sun, as Solomon says, is a chasing after the wind. It's meaningless. 
So today as we look at these things, there'll be a challenge to many of us in the room because all of us enjoy certain things. We, have, we, we gain pleasure from certain things that we have that are material things. It'll be a challenge to us to understand these things in the right way. But that's my prayer this morning is that by your spirit, because it's not through our own might, but it's by your spirit, by your might that we'll understand these things. You bring wisdom. You bring challenge to our hearts. For those of us who need to be challenged this morning with this truth and to begin to reprioritize in our life. That's my prayer today, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It is good to be with you. I am, as uh, Catherine said, the teaching pastor at Malden. There are many of you in the room I recognize. There are a whole lot of you in the room I don't recognize. I have no idea who you are, and you're probably saying the same thing about me. Who is this guy? I'm glad to be here. Um, Dustin and Sloan, love them. Dustin and I have been able to uh, get to know each other so much better over the last year plus that I've been at Malden and teaching past- in the teaching pastor role. I've been at First Baptist Simpsonville Upstate since 2006. So I've been there for a while, just in a lot of different various positions. Now that I'm in the role of teaching pastor at Malden, um, he and I have had a chance to get to know one another a whole lot better. And let me just say this. I love him. He and I could not be more different. But I love Dustin. And I can tell you this uh, about him, and this is one of the things I love about him. He's a passionate guy. Um, And I'm sure you guys saw that after the Tennessee win. Passionate guy, right? Loves his volunteers. Um, I'm a Georgia fan, so we have a a thing coming in a few weeks where he and I will have some of those conversations. But he's passionate about what God has called him to do. He's passionate for you. He loves you. And it's evident. And you should, as as I'm sure you do, you should thank the Lord every day that God has sent someone here that loves you that much. And that wants what's best for you. And even more important than that, wants to see what God wants to do in you and at this place. And it's obvious God is doing a work at Five Forks. And you're a part of that. And you're led by a guy who loves you and loves the Lord. And I'm grateful for that for Dustin. And I'm grateful to be here uh, this morning. So if you have some of those pastor appreciation gifts you want to pass along to him, I don't know what he really likes to be able to tell you what to get him. You may have already got him something. October's pastor appreciation month. Don't miss it. If you want to send those with me to him, I'll take them to him. There may be a, s- a small delivery fee, but I'll take those to him. Uh, and deliver those to him, but make sure you express, which I'm sure you already have, how much you love Dustin. Today we finish the series, What If? Today in Ecclesiastes, we're going to be looking at something that will challenge all of us because it'll talk about the things that we, and we say it this way all the time, I'm guilty of it as well, have. The things that we think we own, right? We're going to be looking at what Solomon says and therefore what Scripture says about those things. And then answering that question, what if I gave all that I have to him? What would God do through me, in me first, and then through me if I gave all that I have to him? If I had that as my perspective. Solomon writes Ecclesiastes to his sons as he does Proverbs. He is wanting to express to them some things that are of utmost importance One of the things that occurs over and over and over again in the book of Ecclesiastes, if you've done any time studying it, you've seen it in this series for sure. There's a phrase that appears over and over again, and it's the theme of the entire book. Everything under the sun is vanity. Your translation may have meaningless. 
a chasing after the wind. That's the theme, as encouraging as that is, that's the theme of the book of Ecclesiastes. But what you have to understand, and this is so important in us understanding what Solomon is saying in Ecclesiastes, you have to take everything he says with that phrase, under the sun. Solomon is looking at the world, and he's expressing how meaningless so much of it is, and today we're going to be looking at possessions in that way, from the perspective of one who's looking at it under the sun. In other words, separated from the revelation of God from eternity without that perspective. Someone who only sees, just say it this way, someone who only sees this life as all there is. If that's you this morning, then you experience what Solomon is describing in Ecclesiastes. Everything is vanity. Everything is meaningless. There may be a season where you gain some pleasure out of it. But at the end of the day, everything is meaningless because you're trying to find your satisfaction in something that is going to pass away very quickly. But yet, I'm guilty of it as well, we continue to add to the things we have, the possessions, the material possessions, somehow thinking that that's going to give me some sort of pleasure. That's going to grant me some sort of satisfaction. What Solomon says is that that's vanity. That's a chasing after the wind. Meaningless. From that perspective, so that's a challenge to us, me included, but it also should be an encouragement to us because there is a right perspective, and Solomon ends that way. We'll look at it in just a minute. The right perspective is understanding I'm just a steward. Everything I have has been given to me by God, and he can take everything away from me. It's up to him. With that kind of perspective, we can do as Solomon says at the end of this passage. We can find enjoyment in those things. We can be content with those things. Whatever God has determined for me to have or not have, I am content, as Paul says, in whatever circumstance I find myself. Whatever that looks like for you. That's the right perspective. If we have that understanding of what we have, right? Knowing that we don't have anything. He has given us all things. But if we have that perspective, then God gives us also the ability to enjoy those things in the small amount of time he's given us on this earth. Because listen, you may think, I fall into the trap of thinking that I have a lot more time left on this earth. Especially looking around this room and seeing a lot of young, young folks, you don't even, this doesn't even come into your mind. It's not even a concern at all to yours, uh, to your mind. But let me just say this. Our life compared to eternity, James says, is a mist. It's a whisper, and it's over. So here's the question you have to consider today, and I do too. Then what? Are you going to find your identity and your satisfaction in the things that you're gaining for yourself, which none of those things go with you? Or are you going to find your satisfaction in Christ, in him? And then whatever he decides to give you, you're content with. You find joy in. That's what Solomon is saying. So a couple of questions, and then we'll jump right into it, because I went long in the first service. I'm not going long in this one. I've got my, I've got, we've got a, a clock back there, and I even got one on my wrist, so it'll let me know when I'm getting close. Here are the two questions. So here's another difference between Dustin and I, right? I sit. I doubt he ever sits, right? I've seen him. He goes back and forth a lot. Um, but two questions that I have jumping into it this morning is, what if I reordered, uh, or one question, if, what if I reordered, what if you reordered your treasure, now let's understand that word as material possessions, money, investment, secure, whatever it is. What if you reordered your treasure according to the priorities of God instead of your own priority? How would that look? 
Would it change anything? I'll answer that for you. Absolutely it will. It changes it for me. It'll change it for you. Oscar Wilde once said, Nowadays people know the price of everything, but the value of nothing. And I think it's so true. We know the price of everything, but it's very hard for me to know the value of something. What Scripture says and what Solomon says here is that we understand that when we have an above-the-sun perspective. When we view everything through the lens of eternity, then it helps us to value those things in the, in the correct way. Understanding the, what the Bible says about treasure is not just good advice. All right, so you may be thinking this morning, well, I'm here. It's the first time I'm here. I don't know who this guy is, but he's the first time I'm here. Uh, go figure. He's talking about money. Uh, if that's you, um, I'm sorry about that, but we're not fo- focusing specifically on money. And it's not just good advice for you to take away. Right? It's a matter literally of life and death. Let me read you what Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation." And then he describes what that temptation is. Into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires. And then it progresses that do what? That plunge people into ruin and destruction. That desire to be rich, that desire to have things, if that's where we go, if that's where I go to find my satisfaction, to find pleasure, to find enjoyment in the material things, what Paul says to Timothy, that will eventually lead to senseless, harmful desires. That will eventually lead to ruin and destruction. So it's a whole lot more than just good advice. And I hope you take it that way today. How do we know what things God values? How do we know what God's priorities are? Solomon gives us an idea in this passage of what they are not, and so we're going to start there and develop a list of what those things are. So the main idea this morning is this. The love of money is an ever-increasing appetite that always leaves you wanting more. And the, the phrase, the love of money is important. I'm not here to challenge you or to challenge myself on the issue of money by itself. What Paul says, what Jesus says, what Solomon said is, is the love of money. And that is completely different than money. Money is only a currency. You only use it to purchase something, to invest in something. It's not the actual thing that it causes this, us to stumble. It's what those things can provide us. It's what that money can purchase for us where we think, man, that thing is going to give me some pleasure. And again, it may for a season, but that will end. And then you will look for the next thing. That's the way it works. And that's the way Solomon is describing it here. From this perspective, we'll discuss three truths this morning about the danger of the love of money. If you have your app on your phone, if you're taking notes, we're going to jump right in. So the first point is this. You will never have enough to satisfy. You will never have enough to satisfy. If you have an under-the-sun perspective, in other words, if you're investing in this world and this world alone, this is all there is, and we have a culture that propagates that lie, that this is it. Gain all you can, get all you can, enjoy all you can, because when you die, that's it. That is not what Scripture tells us. That is a lie from the enemy. There is something a whole lot more than just this life. And when we begin to live that way with that perspective, it changes the way we live our life. So you'll never have enough to satisfy. Look back at verse 10 in our passage. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Solomon says it pretty clearly. Now Solomon is addressing the issue of the love of money. If you could use the old adage, the pot calling the kettle, 
Solomon is that. Solomon was the most considered the wisest man on earth, but he was also considered the wealthiest man who ever lived. He had it all, and then some. And this advice is coming from one who had it all. So we should, I don't know about you, but I listen to someone who's been there, done that, and they're giving me advice. I tend to listen. I tend to tune in. Notice that dissatisfaction is with the object of his affection. Not money itself, but the love of money. Treasure can represent money. It can represent possessions or even the security that that money or those possessions seemingly provide. If I have this, then I'll be secure. If I have this amount of money in the bank, then I'll be secure. I'm not telling you not to have those things. I am telling you along with Solomon and Jesus not to love those things. That's what he's saying. Now, the principle here is rather than craving more, be satisfied in Christ with less. Rather than craving more, wanting the next thing, be satisfied in Christ, that's the key, with less. He may choose to allow you to have more. God is not saying don't have these things. A lot of you in the room may have a lot of things. So don't hear the pastor saying go go out and sell it all. There are two extremes to this, and I'm not saying either one of these is true. You are sensible people. I can just tell by looking at you. So think of this yourself, okay? Don't take the extreme and universalize the principle where you say, well, then everybody needs to go out and sell everything they have in order to be faithful to Christ. You should have nothing. Sell it all. Move to a country you can't even name somewhere in Africa. Live out of a hut. That's universalizing a principle that Solomon is not doing and Scripture doesn't do. In other words, making it applicable to everybody. There may be some of you in the room he asked to do that. If so, my prayer is you do that. You go and do it. But don't universalize the principle. But at the same time, don't minimize the principle. In other words, don't say, well, this is only you know, Solomon. It's only Ecclesiastes. They were not really talking literally here. You're minimizing the principle. Don't do either one. Consider what God is saying to your heart. Consider what God is doing in you. But the principle still remains. Let's be satisfied in Christ. And from that standpoint, those things that we have can be enjoyed. This is a spiritual condition, one that is about the affections of the heart. Now, if you were to to discuss the ability of an alcoholic, right, to overcome their addiction, uh, you would consult uh, or would you consult someone who had never tasted a drop of alcohol? No, I wouldn't either. I would go to the source. You would ask the addict what what moved their affections away from the substance that brought them temporary pleasure toward a new life, toward a new love. That's what you would ask. And Solomon, being one of the wealthiest who have ever lived, can speak to that because he tried it. And what he says in Ecclesiastes is, listen, I've done that. I had it all. All the money that you could want, everything that you could have, I had all of it. And guess what? Under the sun, it's a chasing after the wind. It's meaningless. It'll never satisfy. Solomon knew the inability of treasure to bring satisfaction because he tried it. Author Jesse O'Neill diagnosed this spiritual condition as affluenza. Instead of influenza, affluenza. Those who are wanting to be affluent, right? An unhealthy relationship with money or the pursuit of wealth. And it's rampant in our culture. And let me, let me press in a little further. It's rampant in the church. I'm not speaking just to five forks unless it lands, right? The church in general. It's, 
it's rampant everywhere. This idea that Jesus says, if I follow him, then he'll give me what I want. You will not find one New Testament passage within context where Jesus says, if you follow me, I'll give you whatever you want. Go look for yourself. You won't find it. I would say this, and this presses in on my heart a little bit further. He actually says the opposite. If you want to follow me, what does he say in Luke 9? Leave everything. Take up your cross. Deny yourself and follow me. That's what Jesus says. That kind of thing crashes in on our understanding of what our culture is actually telling us. Jesus says exactly the opposite. Is he calling you to give everything away? I'll say this over and over again. No, he's not calling you to give it all away. He's not saying things are money, uh, possessions and money are bad things, evil things in that sense. But he may be saying to your heart, you need to find your satisfaction in me and not in the things you can accumulate. Without a correct diagnosis, the condition, the, the sickness will spread, infecting every part of the body, resulting in pain, suffering, and eventually death. So first, you'll never have enough to satisfy. Second, you can't take it with you when you go. Verse 13 through 17. Look back at your, your Bibles. Verse 13 says, Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. And those riches were lost. Verse 15 and 16. And he shall take nothing for his toil. Just as he came, he shall go. And then verse 17. All his days, speaking of the one who seeks after satisfaction through material possessions, he eats, or his days he eats in darkness and much vexation, sickness, and anger. Anxiety, worry. Why? Because I try to find satisfaction in material things instead of being satisfied in Christ. That's the kind of person Solomon is describing. This was thousands of years ago, but it lands home with us today. In my own life, when I begin to find some sort of identity or satisfaction or pleasure in material things, it doesn't last long, and it leaves me angered, worried, full of anxiety. That's not what Jesus says we should do with material possessions. These are illustrations of the vanity of seeking treasure for satisfaction. Now, the principle here is nothing under the sun will transfer into eternity. You've heard the old adage... You never see a U-Haul attached to a hearse. You ever heard that? Someone in a hearse never has a U-Haul attached to it. In other words, they're not taking anything with them. Nothing goes from here to eternity with you. No material possession. So with that in mind, the question for me and for you is, why do we spend so much time accumulating things here? Solomon says that doesn't make sense. It's meaningless. Job experiences, if you know the story of Job in the Old Testament... In chapter 1, he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's an example for you of someone who had everything. Job was very wealthy, and God took everything away from him except his life. But yet he says, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Paul, in his instruction to Timothy, said, For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. Nothing goes with us. David Platt says, our lives will count on earth when our eyes are fixed on eternity. That's when we begin to value things in the right way. So, you'll, ha you'll never have enough to satisfy. You cannot take it with you when you go. The last one is this. You can either use your money or your money will use you. Verse 
uh, 19, everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his work, his labor, his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him, I love this phrase, God keeps him or her occupied with joy in his heart. God is the one who gives us enjoyment in those things that he has allowed us to have if we understand it the way Solomon is describing it. In other words, one of these will rule your life. Either God will rule your life as you are surrendered to him or things will rule your life, one or the other. God has determined to give wealth and possessions and even the power to enjoy those things. Listen, if possessions, if, if earthly things, if material gain, if those things rule your life, then the gift that God has given you has become what is worshipped instead of a giver. And, and the way Scripture defines that and the way Jesus defines that is that is idolatry. This is how significant this is. This is why this is not just good advice. This is why this is a, this is a spiritual condition. This is a heart condition. For those of you in the room, this may bounce off you and you won't even think about it until ever again. Here's what I would say. You can hear these things and they don't make any effect. God has to change our affections for this kind of stuff to begin to make sense. And in the room, if you're feeling that this morning, then God may be saying to you, priorities are out of order. You're worshiping material things and trying to find a satisfaction in those. Solomon says that's meaningless. Paul says that leads to destruction. So you have a choice to make. Are you going to continue to follow after, accumulate, try to find pleasure in things that won't last, or are you going to find your satisfaction in me? That's the distinction. Philip Ryken in his commentary on Ecclesiastes writes, The world that God created is full of many rich gifts, but the power to enjoy them does not lie in the gifts themselves. There is an order to things. God has set that up. The moment we get those out of order, the moment we, we move that around, that design out of order, chaos ensues. I've got to skip on down. This is poor planning on my part. Wrapping this up, how does that happen? How do we get to that point? All right, the application of that. So, Ashley, I hear you. It's challenging to my heart. I honestly don't like some of the things you're saying. <laughs> I don't like the way, the, the way that feels. So how do we do this? Here's what, here's what Solomon would say, and then we see this lived out in the New Testament with Jesus and his words and his disciples. This happens through surrender and submission. This happens through humility and, and what Solomon says is the fear of the Lord. Just right above our passage in verse 7, it says, For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. If you want to get to the point, now fear not in being afraid, fear in reverence, fear in the sense of honoring, fear in the sense of exalting God above those other things in my life. That's what Solomon is talking about. Humility, surrendering yourself to him, submission. God, you are Lord of all those things, and I am giving myself to you. The reward, Proverbs 22, again, Solomon says this, the reward for humility and a fear of the Lord is this. Listen, riches and honor in life. Solomon gets it. He just answered the how. The reward for humility, in other words, the reward for surrendering, the reward for fearing God, honoring him and all that we have is riches and honor in life. 
God gives us the ability to enjoy those things. It is deferring all you have to God. Think of it this way, putting yourself on someone else's schedule. That puts you in a tough spot, doesn't it? When I have to submit, Carrie, my wife and I have been married. This coming year will be 25 years. We've, we've been married for a while. When I even now have to put myself on her schedule, right, and I have to wait on her. Husbands, you understand what I'm talking about. You have to just wait sometimes. You would already be gone out the door down the road, but you're waiting on your wife. When you have to put yourself in that position, surrender to her schedule, Right? Maybe it's vice versa in your house. I don't know. But surrender to that schedule, someone else's schedule. Here's what happens to me. I begin to notice things I never would notice before. I begin to see things in a way I never would have seen before because my schedule, what I think is important, my priorities have been shifted. Someone else has the priority. So I want to end with this. Final thought. Following Jesus requires complete surrender to his rule over our lives at the expense of everything else. It requires you and I to truly be, if we're Christ followers, Romans 10, 9 tells us clearly, if you want to be a follower of mine, to follow Christ, to have a relationship with me, means this, you have to confess me as your Lord. That means Lord over all things. Surrendering all of that to his rule, his reign, his priority in my life at the expense of everything else. Everything else falls underneath. God is first. Think how small those things, Matthew Henry said, think how small those things will be when you've stepped into eternity. Those things that you think are important right now. Think how small they will be when you step from this life into eternity. Death will quiet us shortly. Let grace quiet us now. I love that statement by Henry. It's a perspective of understanding. Compared to eternity, my life is a mist, it's a whisper. Just, I mean, listen. 10 trillion years into eternity is just starting. And yet, we want to spend all of our time accumulating things here that never will transfer. What Jesus is saying at the very base level of our walk with him, surrender all of that to me. Be submissive to my rule over your life. Let me prioritize those things. I may still choose to give you those things, but I will also give you the ability to enjoy those things. I give all of it, Jesus says, once you surrender that to me. I'm going to pray for us. In fact, I want you to go ahead, if you wouldn't, bow your heads. I want to pray this prayer, and I want you to pray if God's challenging you this morning, because it's, it's the prayer I prayed this week in preparing. Maybe, maybe he's asking you to pray this way. But I want to pray that God would have complete surrender over our lives, that he will rule our lives, that we'll give that to him, that we'll be submissive. So I want to pray that now. God, I just pray that uh, in this room, there are many of, many, many of us in the room, I'm including myself in that, who wrestle with finding pleasure and satisfaction in what we have. Every day it's a battle because we live in a culture that tells us the more you have, the more successful you'll be and that's what you should strive for. That's the message of our culture. You say the exact opposite. Solomon said it. If you would find satisfaction here, then you must find satisfaction in me. And so there may be some in the room that have never experienced that. They don't know what it means to find their satisfaction in you. I pray that even now you would break their hearts. You would help them understand, I am running a rat race. I am trying, as Solomon said, to chase after the wind. It is meaningless. 
I'm ready to submit to the Lordship of Christ in my life and let him determine what I enjoy to occupy my heart with joy for my life. That's my prayer for us this morning. In Jesus' name I pray.